Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you have decided to join us. It is the day after Election Day here in Southeast Michigan, and a little later in the program, we're going to talk with two people who won big mayoral races yesterday. First, we'll hear from State Rep Abdullah Hamoud, who will be the, soon will be the first ever Arab American mayor of the city of Dearborn, and a really historic milestone happening in that city. Then we're going to hear from former State House Democratic leader Tim Grimal, who will be the new mayor of Pontiac. You're going to want to stay tuned to both those conversations. We're going to talk about not only the candidates' wins, but their agendas for those two really pivotal cities in our region. But up first, in case you haven't noticed, inflation is hot again, and it's very much in the news cycle. The combination of federal stimulus packages issued to jumpstart the economy, increasing prices, and supply chain shortages have got some people on both the left and the right afraid of the idea of runaway inflation. And in case you haven't been to the grocery store lately, uh, let me tell you that the sticker shock that you are having uh, from basic items, bread, meat, milk, all of these things, uh, they are much more expensive right now than they have been in recent memory. Now, inflation is something that was last seen rearing its ugly head in full force when oil prices spiked in the American economy in the 1970s. And it has long been a boogeyman, scaring some of those who want to spend more, heat up the economy, and help employ people in the millions. And today, similar problems have been plaguing policymakers wanting to use the public purse to spend on everything from infrastructure to climate change defense and paid family leave. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has said that he's not going to vote to pass the previously iterated $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, in part because he's concerned about inflation. While the Federal Reserve and a lot of economists believe aggregate inflation levels that currently have breached 5% are temporary, Others are just not so sure. Economist Larry Summers, the former director of the National Economic Council under President Obama, believes the Fed needs to pull back its asset-buying strategy and raise interest rates to disincentivize spending, ultimately tempering rising inflation. But that belief is also very much in contention, as is what truly caused inflation to reach almost 20% decades ago. So that all leaves us with some pretty important questions. What is inflation? What causes it to rise? When does it disrupt the economy? And when should we really be concerned about it? And maybe most importantly, is inflation even the right word for what we're seeing in the economy right now? Is that what is explaining these high prices that we're all paying for so many different things that we used to be able to get for a lot less money? And if it's not, what is it? Is it something different, a more complicated result of the pandemic and the other disruptions to our lives? That is where we start the conversation today. And we've got someone really focused on this issue with us to try to help us sort it out. Lisa Cook is a professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State University. Lisa, welcome to Detroit Today. It is my pleasure to be here. 
So let's start here. What do you make of all the talk right now about inflation? And uh, is that what explains all of the high prices uh, that we're seeing that are really putting pressure on middle class and lower class families? I think just to keep uh, just to keep things going, uh, how afraid do you think we should be of the idea of this being inflation? So thank you for that question. I think it's a really great and timely one. I would certainly say that we are seeing inflation. I'm seeing my grocery bill go up uh, just like everybody else. And uh, it is uh, undeniable that we are seeing the rate of increase in prices, the definition of inflation, uh, go, go up for consumers. Now, the rate of increase has has slowed if you uh, take out uh, food and energy, which are the most uh, the most volatile parts of the uh, consumer price index. Um, this is this is an this is a traditional uh, problem of uh, this kind of volatility. But it doesn't mean that the pain is less. <laughs> that, that doesn't change. That doesn't change uh, the grocery bill that I see uh, every week. But I would say that we really do have to think about what is happening in a different way. I would prefer to call what is happening supply disruptions Hmm. because this economy is still being run by the pandemic. If, If there were no pandemic, we wouldn't be talking about this. We would still be worrying, the Fed would still be worrying about hitting a 2% inflation target, which it only did once or twice in the last decade before the pandemic. Hmm. So what we were worried about before the pandemic was deflation, not inflation, but deflation. And that's largely where consumers' expectations are, that that there won't be much inflation in the economy. And because of that frame of reference, this is a big shock. Now, all of it is not showing up in prices, as you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as was the case in the beginning of the pandemic, we saw supply limitations. We saw limitations on the number of rolls of toilet paper or uh, paper towels you could get. Uh, and the same is true here. There's rationing of, of output. Uh, there aren't that many cars. There's low inventory. There are long waiting periods. And for, for lots of different things, things that you wouldn't expect would be, uh, would, would be uh, affected by the supply chain concerns that we've been discussing. But I would call them more supply chain disruptions because what we see, for example, you'll remember that the price of wood went through the roof mm-hmm. during the mm-hmm. pandemic. And it's coming back down to its normal prices, uh, the, the, the normal prices pre-pandemic. We can expect the same will happen once a lot of these bottlenecks get cleared up. Well, you know, we're finding out a lot about ports these days because of what's <laughs> happening in the port of Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I've looked at ports for a long time. I've been in, interested in infrastructure for a long time, uh, honestly, more in uh, developing countries and emerging markets than in the United States, but the same principles apply. So 
when I, I look at ports in other countries, one thing that I look at is the time to clear uh, customs or the time to get your goods from the port. And to see the kinds of policies we've uh, that ports have had in place, and I mean, that's one thing, that's a whole uh, policies and practices that we should uh, look at, uh, but that's a separate issue from there not being enough workers because um, they were sick or they didn't get uh, they didn't get enough paid leave or sick leave to take care of loved ones who uh, also might be affected by the pandemic. So, so I think that the two two issues that we see at the ports. But let's talk about the policies and practices. We didn't know, for example, that these weren't twenty four hour operations. In many of the ports that I look at uh, in the emerging markets that I uh, that I study. Those are 24 hour seven operations. So they're going all the time. But the other thing is the supply chain hasn't invested in plan B, this just-in-time production that a lot of uh, companies and ports have invested in means that there's no backup plan. So uh, we really caught, uh, we, we really caught uh, with, without a plan B. So I think that those are uh, what I'll say are the the causes behind uh, the kind of inflation that we see. Again, doesn't change the the feeling about inflation, but I think this is uh, temporary. But you know, temporary over a longer period. But once these these uh, the plumbing um, gets unstopped, I think the economy should be flowing again in the way it was before. Hmm. So I want to go back a little in history and talk about inflation that was really scary for people uh, in the 1970s. Um, the, 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 mm-hmm. I've seen some people invoke that mm-hmm. reference a lot lately, and it, it seems to me that what you're saying suggests that this is really different than what was going on in the 1970s. So, so just for a, a few minutes – Talk about what is different between what we're experiencing now and what we're experiencing then, and why you. I mean, you sound pretty optimistic about uh, the, the the near future when this bottleneck gets cleared. That that the economy will go back to uh, a, a regular churn and not be so overheated. Uh, talk about why that maybe didn't happen uh, in the 1970s and and what what the again the contrast is. One of the big contrasts is that we don't have the same backdrop that we had before. We don't see, you know, that was a period of stagflation. Um, We don't see slowing uh, growth or slow growth. We see growth. Um, But we also, I mean, inflation happens in a context, And the context of inflation in the 1970s was very different from the context that we see today. Mm -hmm. The tools available to fight inflation are very different now than they are, than they were in the 1970s. So let me give you just one, just one factor that, that uh, would give us context for the 1970s, the high uh, prices and interest rates of the 1970s. The uh, the end of the gold standard 
1971, mm -hmm. unleashed prices, price changes, uh, and inflation in many parts of the world because this every currency that was uh, a part of the, the gold standard system was pegged to gold. So, so you, you're, you had to do something uh, if you were experiencing inflation in your uh, economy, typically what we would call an internal uh, devaluation. But in any case, these prices changed in a way they hadn't been changing before. So that's, that's part of the context. There were a lot of other things changing as, as well. Uh, but we, we don't have the same kind of uh, context that we, uh, we had then. Uh, we have long ago been unanchored from the gold standard. We've had flexible prices uh, around the world for the most part, certainly with respect to the dollar. And uh, I, I think that gasoline, for example, is not as big a product in the composition of American goods. Mm -hmm. So uh, so when we see gasoline prices go up, yeah, we, we feel it at the at the pump. Again, I see these uh, prices changing every every month, every week uh, right now. But the composition of uh, the the share of oil in the products we use is is going down and has gone down over time. So uh, gasoline isn't necessarily the price of gasoline isn't necessarily the price of oil isn't necessarily going to carry through in the same way it did before. It used to be a big big part of a uh, big share of the products. Uh, made and consumed in the United States. Mm. Take, for example, you know, 1970s were the height of uh, polyester. <laughs> <You know? laughs> where does polyester come from? It comes from oil. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're not doing that as much. So, so, uh, so the, the economy is quite different. And I mentioned that the tools to fight inflation are, are slightly different. Um, you could, Paul Volcker, uh, impose this very uh, severe uh, interest rate hike. That's what people typically remember. I remember I was on a Zoom call recently and a colleague said that he had a mortgage that was 19.1%. Uh, and, you know, it's blown away. Right. It's like for, for those of us who were not adults during that period and not purchasing houses during that period, that just sounds outrageous. That's like, that's what, what a credit card, even a, an onerous uh, credit card uh, rate would be. A, a credit card company would charge. Uh, so, so it seemed very, uh, very, very high. But I think the expectations and, and uh, monetary policy is often based on expectations uh, and not just what we see uh, today, but uh, what we see in the future. Uh, our expectations are pretty anchored, uh, are, are pretty, uh, they have a, a reference point. And I think it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's typically around uh, 2% that might be changing. Uh, but what the forecast that I see for inflation expectations has uh, inflation expectations going down in 2022, you know, uh, peaking and going down in, in 2022. So I really think that our thoughts, 
consumers' thoughts about inflation and, and predictions for inflation are, are fairly, uh, fairly well anchored. And, and I think that they see this as uh, an anomaly, as I see it as an anomaly. But, you know, clearly there's a lot that can happen. I don't want to um, say, I don't want to say on, um, I mean, I, I want to be uh, optimistic, but I don't want, I'm not oblivious to uh, those charges that um, this may be um, an elongated period of uh, temporary rises. It really depends on what happens to, to wages. We don't see uh, wage push inflation like we saw in the 1970s where uh, wages went up and uh, that fed into other uh, parts of the economy. We don't see those great pressures yet. Uh, you know, again, we see scarcity of workers because of a variety of reasons, including uh, child care, the lack of vaccine for, for children, um, uh, people not being able to go to work because they're taking care of uh, elders or others in the household, uh, be they children or not. There are a lot of other factors that are, or people being sick themselves. Right. So uh, there are a lot of other factors still related to the pandemic that we have to uh, watch out for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's call. Tell us what you think about the high prices that we're seeing at the grocery store and in other places. Uh, Tell us how that's affecting uh, your budget, how it's affecting uh, your buying decisions. Uh, But also to give us a call and let us know. If you're worried that uh, there is uh, a tie here to inflation and uh, whether you believe that that is something that will go on for a long time or, as our guest Lisa Cook is saying, uh, that it it will likely clear once we get the bottleneck of the supply chain uh, cleared in places like uh, the Port of Los Angeles. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Anthony in southwest Detroit. Anthony, what's on your mind today? Well, thank you, Stephen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to ask your guest, um, I think the confidence in our currency and their, uh, even further the issuer of the currency, the U.S. government, and uh, I think it has a lot to do with it. So in my question, you know, investors invest in U.S. Treasury bonds. Mm-hmm. Are those even yielding positive results at this point, given the inflation? Hmm. Uh, great question, Anthony. Thanks uh, for the call. Lisa, go ahead. Yes. Yes. It's almost embarrassing that foreign investors are are confident, are so confident in our pledge to pay our bills. The The returns on treasury, uh, treasury securities are are historically low, mm-hmm. right? So we, the, the, the returns on those securities are, are historically low. And this is a safe, this is still considered a safe asset. We still consider the pledge, although we have this, this debate about the, the debt ceiling um, way too often. The rest of the world believes that we keep our word because we have. Because the good faith and credit of the United States rests on our paying our bills. And these aren't bills that we are going to acquire in the future. They're bills we accumulated in the past. 
tax breaks that we gave in the past, for example. Mm-hmm. So we, it is the good faith and credit of the United States is still working. Now, you'll see small fluctuations, but, you know, as a macroeconomist, I typically look at the, uh, the, the trend. Um, the, the interest rate, the um, return on treasuries has been falling over time. You know, this over time, it's been seen as a safe, a very safe asset over over decades. Uh, so, you know, if if we keep paying our bills, there's there's almost uh, nothing we can do about that. That that this is what investors are looking for, especially in times of uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, during uh, crises, uh, during the financial crisis, during um, the euro the eurozone crisis. The uh, the yields on uh, U.S. Treasuries and on other uh, safe assets like uh, uh, German uh, German Treasury bonds, same thing. Very very low, uh, very low interest rates, very low yields. Therefore, uh, and and that's because rather they were thought of as very safe assets. So thanks for the question, but I think we're and, and until we stop paying our bills, and I hope we won't, because that's a, that's all we've got. That's a, you know, in, in many ways, that's a, our serious comparative advantage. Uh, we wouldn't be the currency that everybody likes to use around the world right. um, if if we stop uh, upholding our good faith and credit. Okay, Dr. Lisa Cook, Professor of Economics and International Relations at Michigan State University. Really great to have you here to help explain all this to our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get to yesterday's elections. We're going to hear from State Representative Abdullah Hamoud, who won his election yesterday to become the first ever Arab-American and first Muslim mayor of the city of Dearborn. Just stop for a second and think of how momentous that phrase even sounds. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.